All right, church, well, we are uh, in our final weeks together, and that is honestly a strange thing to say out loud and a bittersweet time for myself and my family. Uh, we have loved our time at Emmanuel, and for the past 17 years, uh, we have counted it an incredible blessing to be able to serve alongside of you and in different capacities uh, and, and be able to kind of link arms with you and make big impact in this community. I have uh, said it a thousand times. I could sit back and think about a thousand different memories from Emmanuel, from uh, mission trips to beach camps to fellowship times together to sermons. I'm sure you guys remember every sermon I've ever preached, and so I do, and I know that you hold that real close to your heart. I was thinking about sitting around a pool in Florida with volunteers till about two or three o'clock in the morning at beach camp. I was thinking about sitting at a picnic table in the middle of Haiti, uh, eating uh, Vienna sausages and chicken and a biscuit crackers with Jerry West talking about deacon ministry. Uh, I, I'm glad TJ sang uh, Majesty this morning because it threw me back to Bob Haygood. If, if Bob needed a song, he was going to sing Majesty every stinking time. And so uh, we have all these incredible memories together. We, uh, we see the church be the church over and over again. And, and man, I, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to be a part of Emmanuel and Emmanuel be a part of me. So as I began to think about uh, my last little preaching series, Easter was just last week. It feels like it was a month ago. Uh, and, and I knew that I only had a couple of weeks on the backside. I, I, I try to give you guys every time I preach uh, a last thought, a thought that kind of you can hang on to for the rest of the week, something to chew on, kind of wraps the entire message up. And so I thought, what better way to name our last series together as last thoughts? And so because my thoughts don't mean anything, uh, Isaiah 55, 8, and 9 reminds us that uh, my Thoughts are higher than your thoughts, says the Lord. So are my ways higher than your ways. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So my thoughts don't mean anything. Uh, so I, what I want us to do is I want us to look at Scripture. I want us to find out some really incredible things. We're going to go in the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. Ephesians is uh, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus and has a lot of really good concrete things that uh, are, are real wonderful and I think fitting to uh, to our time together, some concluding statements, some challenging, some bigger meaning and bigger purpose behind them all. And so uh, I think it's, it's going to be real fitting for us to kind of walk through a couple of these uh, over the next couple of weeks. Now, Ephesians itself is crammed full of uh, incredible um, life-changing verses, things that Paul wrote this church that we are not going to have time to work all the way through. As a matter of fact, if you looked in chapter 1, Paul's going to remind the church at Ephesus that it's in him that we are who we are. He says that phrase over and over and over again, the first few verses of, of chapter 1, in him uh, he chose us before the creation of the world. In him, we have redemption and forgiveness, and uh, we've been chosen and included. We've been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's all in him language over and over and over again. Chapter 2 tells us that we were dead in our transgressions and sins, but Christ made us alive, right? Uh, that, that because of his great love for us, we are made alive in Christ, right? And then chapter 3, Paul tells us how the Gentiles are welcome into the family. Thank God. All right, it's not, this is not just a Jewish thing anymore, that this is open to anybody. That we are all part of the same family. We are sharers of the promise, is how he says it. It's in a beautiful passage of Scripture. What we're going to focus in is in chapter 4. So chapter 4 begins this challenge to the church. And, and the way things are said here and the way that Paul challenges them, I think it's so beautiful and so wonderful, and that's where we're going to focus this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says this. 
As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is as literal of a statement as you can get. Paul is a prisoner when he writes the church in Ephesus. He's being kept in Rome. He's writing around 60 to 62 AD. Uh, and and in, in prison, he writes what we call as the prison epistles, right? It's uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And, and he's writing these individuals and these churches and, and he's thinking back, especially with Ephesus, he's thinking about his time that he spent there. We know if you read the book of Acts that, that Paul went to Ephesus, that he, he spent some time there with them. This is in Acts chapter 18. This is where he left Priscilla and Aquila. He kind of left them there to help handle the, some of the things that was going on in the church. He comes back in Acts chapter 19 and stays for two years in Ephesus. He knows these people. He loves these people. And he wanted them not just to know and understand the gospel well. He wanted them to live the gospel well. He said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. That word urge here means to beg. Or if you have a King James Version, it may say beseech or encourage. He's pleading with them. Please, 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 above all things else, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And I think when I read this, we, we all kind of struggle a little bit with this because, because we understand that on every level we are unworthy. That, that when we approach God, that we are humbly approaching Him. That, that we are in our own self not able to approach the throne of grace. And so we, we kind of fall back into that, that idea of unworthiness. A lot of us, uh, I, I, I believe Luke chapter 17, I quote this verse to myself over and over again. Luke 17, Jesus is speaking and he's given a parable. And at the end of the parable, he says this, verse 10, so you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants and we have only done our duty. I, I recite that verse to myself probably weekly. I'm an unworthy servant. I've only done my duty. I'm an unworthy servant. I've only done my duty. When it's all said and done, we understand our position before Christ. And too often, I believe, we use that position as an excuse not to do what God's called us to do. Oh, I can't do that. I, I've, I've done too many things, or I've, I, I don't know enough, or I'm, I've gone too far. If they only really knew the real me, I, can't, I am too unworthy to serve. Serve God, or serve the church, or serve my family, or serve serve a specific area of ministry. I can't do that because I'm unworthy, right? We kind of, we settle back into that and use it as an excuse to not have to step outside of our comfort zone. But hear this. If you're going to quote Luke 17, then you also should turn around and quote 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. It's incredible. It's beautiful language. Paul's telling the church in court saying, listen, his grace is the only reason why I'm able to do anything that I'm doing. In my very self, I am unworthy. But he gives us grace. And it's by his grace I am what I am. 
His grace to me was not without effect. Church, hear me when we think, think about serving the church. We talk about all the things that we should be living our life worthy of. You have been changed and marked by grace. And that grace has an effect on you. It makes us holy. It makes us worthy. It makes us ambassadors of him. It makes us good representatives of him. We are the first to love because we've been loved. We are the first to show mercy because we've been shown mercy. We're the first to extend grace because of the grace that has been extended to us. That grace is not without effect. It it, it does not just come in and change parts of us. It changes all of us. So stop using unworthiness as an excuse and use it as a launching point of your faith, to put your faith into action because of the grace that you've been given. Yes, I'm unworthy, but I'm still called to go. I'm still called to do. We live a life worthy of the grace that we've been given. We live a life worthy of the salvation that we've been granted. We live a life worthy of the calling that we've received in our life, a calling to represent him well. A calling to love God and love others. A calling to love our families and give spiritual direction to our teenagers. A calling to love our wives and to love our husbands and to pray for and to pray with them. A calling to provide for our homes spiritual, grounding, foundational elements. A calling to teach others about the goodness of God. That's what we've been called to do. That's living a life worthy of the calling you've received. We've got to stop using our unworthiness as an excuse. We've got to stop, stop kind of hunkering down and going, well, I can't because of. We have to say, I can because of grace. I and myself am unworthy, but he is completely worthy of my effort. So we... We read that first verse in Ephesians 4, and we think, okay, well, that's great. We're going to live a life worthy of our calling, but how do we do that? Thankfully, Paul keeps writing. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And we all groan and go, is there any other way? I mean, come on. Humbleness and gentleness and patience and love, like, can't I just, like, I don't know, occasionally show up to church and give when I have a little extra and read my Bible every once in a while and just kind of check off boxes? No, you can't. You can't live a life worthy when you're half in and half out. You can't live a life worthy when you're just kind of going through the motions of church and never really being completely humble and gentle and patient Bearing with one another in love. This this really, now, more than ever, is a time for you, church, to step up into these positions. Humility, gentleness, patience, and love. I I even expanded those a little bit, Mark, if you hit that button, to, to lead and serve and be in love. Lead with humility. You have to come into these next few months with an attitude of, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about what I I deem most important. It's about what's best for Emmanuel. It's about what's best for the future of Emmanuel. It's about what's really best for the kingdom of God through Emmanuel. I will lead 
with humility. I'll come in here and say, it doesn't matter what happens as long as God's glorified. It doesn't matter if I get my way. It matters if God's honored. When we lead with humility, we do what's best for the kingdom. You have to serve with gentleness. And I'm going to say this like this because it's true. There are broken people in this church. We all are. On, on every level. We all have the things that are pressing in and stressors that come and fears and bills and deadlines and, and we have kids and that's probably enough to say that we're all broken. And if you're out of that phase, you've got in-laws or you've got parents or you've got, you've got all these things that are pressing in, family drama. And as much as we try, sometimes that pressure gets to us. And we either explode or we implode in ways that push people away from us. And when that happens, notice when, not if, because it's going to happen. When that happens, we serve people with gentleness. Too often, church, we're the first people, church people are the first people to point the finger and start talking about other people and question things like how could they or they should know better. And we judge people and we, and we, we talk about things socially not, and we try to cover it and say, well, we're just sharing prayer requests. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not. Those are not prayer requests. Where in any of that is gentleness? How we're supposed to serve each other, put other people's needs above our own, and come, come to each other and say, you know what, if I'm going to live a life worthy of the calling I've received, then that means that I'm going to come to broken people and I'm going to serve them gently. I'm going to allow them to heal and, and to repair and to mend things in their life and give them a foundation of Christ to stand on when their whole world seems upside down. That's what this church is really, really good at. So we're going to serve people. We're going to let broken people come in because we're just a bunch of broken people as well. So we lead with humility, we serve with gentleness, and then we be patient. And in my notes, literally, ugh, that's what I wrote. Because <laughs> like I know, uh, I hate it when people tell me to be patient, uh, and I like, really hear me. I, I understand that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Like I've sang the song, I know them. But I'm not good at it. I especially am not good at when I am, I am the one waiting. I can be patient for God to work things out in your life all day long, right? Because that's your life. But when it's my life, patience is, is, is not a virtue that I exude very well. Because I, we are living in a world and we're living in a culture that is probably the most impatient culture in the world. Um, we live, I, I remember, I remember the transition. Some of you are going to go, that's nothing. I remember the transitions from, from uh, cassette tape to CDs. And then I remember the, you know, we're going, eight tracks, records, right? I've got records, we've got all those. I remember the first time downloading a song. This is the greatest moment 
in the world. Like you could get a you could get a song that you didn't have to put two radios facing each other. Y'all remember this back in the eighties and hit record on one and let the radio play it and you just record it off the radio with your sister yelling in the background and you don't have you got a you've got a downloaded song instantly. I remember when Netflix used to mail you DVDs. And you could request them, and it'd take about a week and get them, and you get like two or three, and you had to send them back to get the next two or three that you wanted. And now all we gotta do is hit the button, and it's there. Most, most of the new movies released don't even go to the theater anymore. They just, you can just buy them on your TV. It's fantastic. And we're, we're growing up in a world where my kids have no idea what it means that you gotta go, you gotta wait for a CD to be released. You gotta go to Walmart and get one of those long plastic things that were wrapped around the CDs. Y'all remember what I'm talking about? Some of y'all are like, what are you talking about? The older folks know what it's up, okay? And so older, my age. I remember, I had this written in my notes, I didn't say it. I remember when I got here, some of y'all were already old. And like, I'm getting to the age that y'all were. And so like, I remember these CD cases. I, I say, so we are living in this world where we don't have to wait for much. But then sometimes I believe God gives us one of three answers. He gives us a yes, he gives us a no, or he gives us a wait. And that's the one that we struggle with the most. Listen, I can hear no from God all day long. God, I'm asking for this. And if he says no, I'm like, all right, cool, thanks. And I just go on. But if he looks at me and says, wait. I'm like, come on. Nobody wants to wait. Nobody wants to, to wait for God to develop things within them. Nobody wants to wait for God to develop something in somebody else. But when it comes to God things... When it comes to the things that he's trying to, to work in our life or the things that we're asking him for or the things that we're asking him to develop in our life, when we have to wait, we start asking questions like, why this? Why now? Why me? Why not yet? See, patience, I believe, helps us live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. Here's, here's the way I have to look at it and I have to make myself. With all the things that I've done and all the second chances that he's given and all the grace that he's extended and all the questioning and rebellion and all the things that, that I've done in my life, he's been so patient with me. I can be patient on him. I can be patient on others. I can be in that moment so that I become that in my life. Be in that moment so that you become that in your life. Lead with humility, serve with gentleness, be patient and love. I almost, almost put love with love. I don't, that, it's kind of redundant, but it's true. Because when, when the verse says to be completely gentle, or completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. That's not fake love. That's not in appeasement or manipulated or manufactured love. That's real, genuine, gut-level love. Here's what I mean. You have your people, right? Everybody has their people, people that, that you would do anything for, that you would move heaven and earth for, that you would come at a moment's notice for, that you would go to Target and Ulta all in the same day for. You have those people. Love everybody like that. And you go, what do you, what do you mean? I mean, love everyone 
like that. Even the hard to love ones. Remember, remember Paul's writing a church. And he's telling the church to love each other. And some of y'all can't even be in the same room with each other. Some of you have generations of, of hurt between families and lines that have been drawn. And how could they and how dare they? They better stay on their side and I'm going to stay on my side. Some of you have recent hurt. Because remember, we're broken people, and broken people do broken things. But Paul tells us that we're supposed to love. If you're looking for an easy read, read Bob Goff. Bob Goff is an author who's a Christian, who's, uh, he's a speaker, he goes around, he's, he's just this really neat guy, but he tells a lot of stories in what he, what he writes, and, and he, he wrote this down in a book called Everybody Always, and it's talking about loving everybody all the time. And this is what Bob says. Find a way to love difficult people more, and you'll be living the life Jesus talked about. Go find someone you've been avoiding and give away extravagant love to them. You'll learn more about God, your neighbor, your enemies, and your faith. Find someone you think is wrong, someone you disagree with, someone who isn't like you at all, and decide to love that person the way you want Jesus to love you. It's incredible. We are to love each other. Humility, gentleness, patience, and love. Why are those attributes of living a life worthy of the calling you've received? Because if we were to describe Jesus, wouldn't we use those same words to describe him? Humble, gentle, patient, and loving. And here's the hook, and we'll, we'll move off this first, because... This isn't just for a little while. It's not like a, well, okay, I'll act like this for a season. Uh, we understand that our pastor's going, we're going to have a gap between pastors. There's going to be a new guy. If God's calling Matt out, he's going to call somebody else in. So I'll act like this in the middle section. This is an all-the-time thing. This is an always thing. This is a measure of the life that we're living if we're living with humility and gentleness and patience and love, then we are living a life worthy of the calling that we've received. It's a whole life thing. It's not just a season time. But Paul's not done yet. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Make every effort to keep the spirit of unity in the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What's the word he kept saying over and over again? One. One hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. When when God's people live to the calling that they have received, they live in unity with other believers. It's the whole hook of everything. If we're going to live a life worthy, then we're going to live a humble and gentle and, and patient and love-filled life, but we're going to do that in unity with other believers. Hear me when I say, IBC is a healthy church. It's... It, no, make no mistake about it. There's, there's nothing that I am running from, okay? 
We have a healthy staff. There's no budget issues. There's no staff issues. There's no leadership issues. There's nothing that, that is unhealthy. But if you show me an unhealthy church, I'll show you people who are not living a life worthy of the calling they've received. People who, who, are, who are made up, churches who are made up of unhealthy people who are pushing their own agendas and who, who, who want ministry done a specific way for a specific group of people who, who are more concerned about what they want than what God wants. And know this, because this Bible verse says to the end result of people living a life worthy of their calling, they live healthy, it's unity. Live, living in unity with other believers. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, you are to be one. We have the greatest example of that in Scripture. It's in the Trinitarian understanding of God. That we have one God, one divine essence, three separate co-divine, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are all one, three in one. The only way that God exists is by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He never exists as just one of the three. It's always three in one. So, hear what I'm saying. Your unity of a church, your ability to not only express humility and gentleness and patience and love to others outside, but to others in here, should be so strong that when people see the church, they see a picture of the Trinitarian God. That when, that when people see Paul Braswell, they see IBC. When people see Mary Mullins, they see IBC. When people see Jack Mosley and Betsy Anderson and Shannon Lasseter and Dennis Young, they see IBC. When they see Petey Woodard, I don't know what they see. <laughs> that was just for Dennis. I knew he'd laugh at that. <laughs> they should see Emmanuel. All is one. Listen to what Jesus says. John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. John 14, 9. Anyone who's seen the Father has seen me. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. The Son is the, invis is the image of the invisible God. We just sang that song. That when you see Jesus, you saw God the Father. In the Old Testament, when God the Father spoke, it was just as the same as Jesus speaking. That oneness is what we're supposed to example here. That everything that happens in IBC, we are one in. It's what I love about our leadership. I've had the privilege of serving alongside the deacons of this church for a long time. And in that room, when we meet... There may be disagreements. There may be people say, well, I don't know about this. Well, what about this? And we talk through it. But when we leave that room, we leave as one. I've never left a deacon's meeting where, where we've still been fighting over something. Or, or, we don't fight, arguing over anything. We just all agree to agree. That's, that's unity, church. That's what we're supposed to be doing as a church. When they see each of you serving and loving each other. The outside world sees Emmanuel. They see Jesus serving and loving each other. Here's what this means. It means if there's tension between you and another church member, you got to work it out. 
It means if there's a grudge that you've been holding or forgiveness that you've been withholding, it means you've got to work it out. It means that when, when I am gone, that there's no power grab, that there's, that there's no, I'm going to get things done how I want to get them done. No, we're going to serve together as one. It means our church is defined by humility and gentleness and patience and love both inside and outside of these walls. So the biggest question of all today is can we really do it? I mean, how can we really live this way? I understand the parameters that Paul gives us. We do it by unity and by gentleness and patience and love. And I can hear in your hearts, well, I've known these people for a long time. I've got deep history here and deep hurts here. And I've, got, I've seen people in this church. Have you seen the people in this church? Like, I, I know the people in this church. I've lived life. I grew up with them. I went to school with them. How can we really express that kind of unity? Skip down in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. says this. So I'll tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so that to indulge in every kind of impurity, they are full of greed. So here's Paul calling out our excuses and saying, don't live like Gentiles. In other words, don't live like unsaved people. And that's not a knock against the lost. It's not. He's saying, listen, He's not looking at you going, look at all those sinners. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you who are saved, you are to live to a higher standard than those who are not. Gentiles, in the futility of their thinking, the the perverseness, the depravity, the fragility, the lack of truth in their thinking, the, the way that they don't connect the dots from life things to spiritual things. He says, don't live like that. You know better. We've been given grace. Grace that was not without effect, right? He says you can't live like that. It's not their fault. Their, their hearts are hardened. They're in darkness from their understanding. They don't get it. You get it. Don't live like that. They've given themselves over to sin and sinful behavior. They've lost sensitivity. Don't fully understand. They're indulgent and sinful behavior. They're full of greed. Interesting little add-on to the bottom of that sentence. They want what they want. They don't care about a bigger picture. They, They believe certain things are to cater to them. That's greed. Don't live like them. Instead, verse 20, keep reading. That, however... It's not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Love this. Because Paul does two things in this. He calls out our hearts and he reminds us of ourselves. He says, 
that way, that futility of thinking, the life that you learned uh, that, that was in you before, that's not, that's not what you learned from Christ. In other words, you, you know better, right? Quit acting like you don't know better. Remember that Paul knew them. He spent time with them. Two years and three months he was with these people. He knew them. And he was calling them out in love. Don't live like that. You know better than that. He said, that's your, that's your former way of life, your old self. And he says, with regard to your former way of life, he's reminding them of who they were. I don't get this twisted. You used to act like that too. You're not better than anybody else. You're not more special than anyone else. You're, you were caught up in the same things that they were caught up in, but, but now you were taught to put off that old life, to put on the new life in righteousness and holiness. You were, you were taught to say, okay, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm going to live a life worthy of the calling I've received. I'm going to put away all of this sinfulness and deceitfulness and malice and impurity and all the things that are kind of dragging me down. I'm going to put that down as my old life stuff, and I am going to put on my new life stuff. Paul says, don't act like them, but also don't forget that you were one of them. And it's a, it's a humble reminder. We can't get caught up in selfishness and pridefulness and greed because we know better. But at the same time, we can never think that we are better than anybody. We're not any better. The only thing that makes us who we are is that we have put on our new selves created to be like God. Remember what I told you he said in Ephesians chapter 1? Ephesians chapter 1, he starts with the, all the in him statements. In verse 4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Ephesians four, uh, verse 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace he has lavished on us. Verse 11, in him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. Verse 13 and 14, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance into the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. It's only that we are in him that we are any different than anybody else. It's not because of things that we've done. It's not because when we came to salvation, we magically were better than everybody else. It's that we were now in him, and he makes us worthy. He makes us holy. He makes us better. Not better than, just better. Better than we used to be, not better than anybody else. It's in him that we are anything at all. So here's my final thought, and we're going to wrap it up. Over and over again, Paul is reminding the church in Ephesus that our lives, our church, our relationships, our affections, our service, our humility, our gentleness, our patience, our love, our unity as a body of believers is to be a reflection of him in us and us in him. 
church, as we move into a season where it's going to be a little different for everybody, we have to remember it's not about us. It's only about him. Would you stand with me as we pray? Have just a moment of invitation, a moment of reflection. Maybe this morning for the first time that you've, you've been thinking through some relational things, some, some church things, some unity things. Maybe you've been thinking about, well, I, I haven't really been serving or haven't been uh, serving people in gentleness for sure. Or, or maybe I think a little too highly of myself or, or maybe my patience is just a little too thin. Whatever it is, this morning is the moment for you to confess and to lock back into what this, the foundational truth of all of this. It's not about us, it's about Him. As we, as we move into new adventures and new time, the most important thing that we can come out with is a stronger unity within the church to take the message of the church to this community. If you say, man, I, I, I don't even know about this whole salvation thing. I don't even know about this life in him. I'd really got some questions. I'd love to answer those. Maybe, maybe you've said, I've, I've never really been unified with the church because I've never been a member of the church. Maybe today's the day to, to lock that in. Whatever it is, don't miss what God's trying to do. Let's pray together and then let's respond. Father, we love you and we thank you for today. Thank you for the truth of, of your love for us and how we are to live our lives in response to that calling. God, worthy. Father, if we do some quick inventory, there's a lot of us that would probably say we've not been living life worthy. God, forgive us of that. Set us back on what is right and true and solid ground and help us to live our life of a reflection of the goodness and the grace that you've given us. God, if there's somebody here today that says, you know what, I, I, need to, I need to lock that in. I need to understand that fully. God, help them be bold enough to ask questions, whether to me or somebody sitting next to them. God, if there's somebody here that says, you know what, I need, to, I need to just join the church. I need to link arms. I need to be a part of what you're doing here. Then, God, today's not about Emmanuel. It's about Emmanuel's role in your great plan. God, help us not to leave this morning without making the decisions that we need. It's in Jesus' name we pray.